You are listening to episode five of the So Driven podcast. Our guest today is James Thee. James has a highly acclaimed career as a professional 1500 meter athlete with highlights including fourth place finish at the 2004 World Indoor Championships, a finalist in the European Championships, and he has represented Wales in two Commonwealth Games. In 2014, James became a multiple World Master Champion and still is regularly used as a major events and broadcasting mentor for the likes of the International Paralympic Committee, the London Marathon, the Great Run Group and Eurosports. The knowledge gained from his international career has allowed James to establish an increasingly successful coaching group, gaining recognition both nationally and internationally. Now professionally, James is the Performance Director for the Athletics at Cardiff Met, a Senior Director and studying a Doctorate in Sports Coaching. You are listening to the So Driven Podcast with me, your host, Serena Dodd. Each week, we will dive deep into the inner workings of leaders. We will talk about their story, their challenges, their triumphs, and ultimately what drives that quest for success. Wanting to listen to a corporate type of approach to leadership? I'm afraid you're in the wrong place. Here, we like to be raw, a bit silly, progressive, and 100% unconventional. Jamie Feek, welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on as one of the guests. Really, at this point, I would ask how you are coping during this lockdown, but you have so much going on at the moment. So I just wanted to give my listeners out there who don't know the chance to get an understanding of where you came from. You're known as a mid-length runner. For anyone who doesn't know you out there, can you just explain your achievements in running and how you came to run for Great Britain and Wales, both in the European and World Championship, as well as the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, so um, hi, everyone listening. Um, thanks for having me on today. Uh, yeah, so I've been hugely kind of fortunate to kind of found something that was, you know, very, um, you know, something that I was very passionate about from a young age. So I kind of joined my local athletics club when I was 12 years old. So I've been running the best part of 30 years now. Um, it took me all through my kind of teens. And then I ended up following that onto university where, uh, you know, I studied sport, but it was only really kind of structured through my kind of athletics and my running. Um, and I ended up, yeah, sort of reaching, uh, you know, a, a Great Britain level and going to world championships is in Commonwealth and Europeans, uh, traveling the world that was amazing. Uh, but I was fairly unique as a, a kind of uh, international runner where I had a couple of coaches when I was younger, but predominantly through my athletics career, I was self-coached. So I have to kind of explain to the athletes I coach now that that's what I did, but it was maybe not the best thing to have done long term. Because um, basically I learned, I learned a lot about coaching and I learned a lot about looking after myself, but I also made a lot of mistakes uh, in relation to, you know, kind of managing myself, the program. Um, and so it was towards the end of my athletics career. Uh, where I was getting into um, kind of teaching and, and academics university, that actually a couple of athletes approached me and asked me whether I would coach them. Um, and having coached myself, I thought I was in a in quite a good position maybe to pass on now some of the knowledge and, and hopefully make sure that they didn't repeat the same mistakes I made. Um, and I kind of fell into coaching in 2008. Um, and actually one of my first athletes I coached ended up going to the Commonwealth Games six years later, uh, for Scotland in Glasgow, so you know we, it's it's been a it's been a, a journey of now what are we twelve years of coaching? Um, I'm uh, seven eight years now as a, a full time lecturer at university, where I'm hugely lucky down in, in Cardiff to combine my kind of academic uh, profile with being director of athletics at the university as well. So I, I look after the university students in in relation to that. Um, and I still run myself, so I, I still haven't given up uh, the running bug myself. I was World Masters champion last year. Um, and so my, my athletics and my kind of uh, my growth you know, through, through, through the years has kind of gone from being an athlete to being an, an athlete and coach probably as one. And now going into uh, kind of more coaching. Um, but I'm hugely lucky that it's kind of shaped where I am today. 
just going back a little bit, when you say you were coaching yourself, how did that come to happen? I imagine a lot of your peers would have had coaches. How did you not have a coach? Did you, was that a intentional thing? Did you feel like you were able to coach yourself in a more disciplined manner than the others? Yeah, I mean, when I when I was younger, I was always, or I say younger, throughout my kind of career, I've always been a student of the sport. So I've read as much as I can. I've studied as much as I can. Um, you know, and, and I think that I had some very, you know, two really good coaches when I was younger. Um, and it got to a point where I kind of enjoyed programming and, and enjoyed looking after myself. Um, as I said, I mean, it got me to fall for the world championships. But looking back now, there were times where, you know, and I, I've got a stack of training diaries with loads of detail of things written down day by day. Um, when, when you're looking after yourself, and I think it's the same whether it's in business, whether it's in education, um, you, you know, you know yourself better than anyone else, but there comes a time where you need someone outside. Um, maybe with me, it was probably someone telling me to, to stop doing so much and actually to, to focus and back off at certain times. Whereas when you're in the middle of the bubble yourself and, you know, I was in a, in a part of my career where I had to race to, to pay the bills. Um, and also I had to kind of, you know, plan things out myself, but I was all, all or nothing sometimes where, I think if someone had been looking after me, they would have said at certain times, you need to rest, you need to recover, or you need to do a bit more. Um, and that's kind of what I've taken into my own coaching now is that, you know, I still, you know, we'll probably get onto that a little bit further on that, you know, my philosophy is that athletes need to look after themselves because you you know how you feel in the morning. You, you have a, you know, greater understanding of yourself, but my job is to kind of push them when they need to be pushed. And also more, more times than ever, is to pull them back and make sure that they don't kind of go over the tipping point um, mentally and physically because, you know, as I found out, running at the top level or high level sport um, is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. You know, there's, there's another three, four people behind you waiting to step into the, the place you're at. Um, when you climb the mountain or, you know, the, the analogy of getting up the mountain, you're never really there. You know, there's always another few steps and a few, pinnacles and, and things like that and and you're only an injury away from absolute oblivion anyway so um yeah i think it gave me a real appreciation of you know kind of I said almost being a, a coach trapped in an athlete's body um but then when i took athletes on board i could kind of see even more the things that i probably didn't do well but also what i did do well because there were obviously things that i did do well um i'd like to think there were some things and and you know i said written them all down anyway so um yeah it was kind of but it was unique as in nearly all of my rivals and and you know had one or two personal coaches so um i definitely went against the uh, the norm did you always want to do it did you always want to be a runner yeah so i i think that you know when you're younger you um i, I played all sports i was I, I always look back and think i was really fortunate to have a school where um, we were allowed to play you know, multiple of sports, every team sport, individual sports. We had PE teachers that would be there at seven o'clock in the morning for things like basketball training and, and different things where, you know, we, in our, I think in my year seven, so first year at secondary school, our PE teacher used to take a group of eight people running up in the woodlands by the school. You'd never do that now. I mean, health and safety would cut that down in a second, but also, you know, how many teachers would give up their lunch times to go and run you know, and I look back and think hugely privileged or, you know, and hugely kind of fortunate to have had that opportunity. And I found that actually I love team sports, but it was never the best. I also learned that you could you could play the best game ever in football as an individual, but still lose. Um, or you could play terribly and win. Whereas actually athletics, especially long distance and middle distance running, is very simple as in, you know, you had to put the training in in the weeks prior to a competition. Um, the same as if, you know, with exams and for most of us that, you know, you have to do the revision, you have to do the work, you know, prior to an exam. Um, and, the, and the hard work, therefore, paid off. But then on, ultimately on race day or competition day, it was you and what you put in. And it was hard, you know, hard work running is, is not easy. Um, you have to inflict a certain amount of pain on yourself and it's self-inflicted. Boxers, someone else punches you. Whereas a runner, you kind of almost got to punch yourself because it hurts. Um, but there's something about that. It, to some personalities, it's you know that um, you know the solitude of a, a long distance runner and going out and running for two hours, you know, on your own without any music. To some people, that would be the idea of hell. 
to, to, to a runner, it's, it's kind of second nature and you feel better from it. So, um, yeah, I think I was lucky to find something that it, it kind of resonated with my personality. And I was, again, I think I said that at the beginning, feel really fortunate that I found something, you know, when I was very young that I really enjoyed and I can't believe it's still shaping my career and, um, and, and yeah, I'm still doing it now and, and loving it. And would you say it's the self-reliance and ultimately the fact that it is such a, a solitude type of sport that appeals to you? You know, you mentioned before that playing a football match, you could be playing your best, but if the team aren't working together, you might lose the game. This is complete self-reliance. You have to take full on responsibility and ultimately you're in control. Was that the pull for you? Yeah, I think it's def definitely part of it. I think as I got older and, and was part of teams, I mean, that was the special thing with, you know, certain with, you know, cross-country teams where you're part of the team. Um, and now I'm director of, uh, you know, a very successful with, you know, top three universities in the UK for athletics. And a lot of our really, really important competitions are team competitions. Um, and actually, you know, the, you know, you could be, you know, a distance runner, a shot putter, a, a sprinter, but you're all pulling for the same team. So, I've kind of seen it in terms of, you know, I think I think when you're out there training sometimes, especially for some of the competitions, and ultimately for a lot of the, you know, the competitions, it is an individual sport in athletics, but there are real elements and probably some of my fondest moments have been team elements of the sport. But but again, it's still, no one can pull you through that moment in your own competition. I think that's when you stand on the start line, um, it is at, it's you and it's what you've done prior to it in terms of training. It's how you cope mentally with the challenge of it. Um, you know, sometimes there is the distraction as in, you know, you, you might try and pull one if it's a team competition in terms of being motivated for that. But I think that's the great thing with athletics and, and with, you know, track and field. There are all these different components, but yeah, there is definitely an individual element to it. But, um, but as, as I've kind of learned as we've gone on um, and had a really successful training group that we kind of formed, you know, a, a kind of close, kind of cohesive, group around us that you can make it a bit more of a, a kind of joint effort but again when you get on that start line it is it it's is you, you or the athlete that I've coached when they stand on the start line I'm I'm helpless then it's it's them when you were competing what did leading up to a race look like for you um my, my wife would probably tell me that uh, I, I would would sort of not not regress but I would definitely kind of gonna step, take a step back in terms of you know, I think being mentally prepared for something, as I said earlier, it, it hurt, you know, most competitions, you know, were, were, you know, the third lap of a 1500 meters, you know, and, and beyond all those events, you know, you're going to the max in terms of, you know, your, your body's ability uh, mentally and physically. So you had to kind of get yourself in the zone for that um, and think about, you know, the training that you've done. So I, I had routines like most people where well, I never tried anything new the day before, uh, whether it was, you know, the, the preparation in training, whether it was preparation in what I ate. Um, I was very systematic um, because, I, again, you're trying to repeat. Running is just repetitive. And so what you're trying to do is if you've got a kind of formula. Um, and it was actually a good friend of mine, um, Joe Pavey, who's a five-time Olympian, uh, European champion, I think, at the age of um, 42. Phenomenal athlete. But... I remember chatting to her when I was a younger athlete and asking her about what she did, you know, prior to a competition. And um, she actually said that she wrote down what she did the whole week of a really good race. So, you know, and you could do the same, whether it was an exams or whether it was, um, you know, a, a good presentation at work, you could actually work back and look at what you did um, and, you know, write down even how much sleep you had, what you ate, how, obviously how much training you did, but also what you were thinking um, and what she tried to do is she tried to see patterns and tried to look at, you know, things that she did well. Um, and I think that that's what you're looking for is to take away some of the, the guesses of what might work. Um, you know, people, you hear stories of people doing marathons and half marathons for the first time and they get up on race morning and, and they're in a hotel and porridge gets offered to them. And they, they think, oh, I remember Paula Radcliffe ate porridge the morning she broke the world record. And so they eat this porridge and then, you know, they got get offered an espresso and they're like, oh, I don't normally drink espressos. I try an espresso. And then obviously it, it ends in disaster. Um, and that's what you're trying to avoid. You're trying to avoid having done all that hard work. The, the only thing I wanted to think about was how well I could race um, or could I win the race or, you know, or 
can I run a personal best? I didn't want to think about, did the lunch I have, is that going to be the best thing for me? So I think you control the controllables, but also look, as I said, look for patterns that might emerge, but also look for things that, you know, you, you also, I always used to think if I didn't have a good race and I look back and there were three or five things that weren't as good, weren't optimal. So it could have been bad travel, sleep, um, could have been, I was, you know, had an injury or, um, you know, could have been stressed through, uh, you know, home life, work, whatever. Then probably when there's three, three to five things in that mix, then that might explain why you didn't have a very good race. So I think that, and then obviously your then job is next time being in control of yourself is to try and make sure you eliminate those next time. Otherwise you're, you're going to get the same result. Are you, or were you superstitious? It's one of those things that you, um, even though, you know, I, I believe that obviously the training you do is going to make you run fast. Um, there, there were certain things that I don't know, you know, like rituals or things that I would do. Um, and I, I, I used to write something on my hand before every race. Um, and again, I, it sounds ridiculous, but it was like, a com- not comfort thing, but um, I used to write on my hand a couple of little messages and I used to write what my personal best was at the time. Um, almost just to remind myself like you know, that, that's what, you know, that's what I'm capable of. Um, I don't know. I know athletes that do similar things. I know athletes that don't think anything. They just go and do it and they do phenomenally well. Again, I think it's, you know, you, you've got to do things to, to make you feel better. I, I used to listen to the same pre-race songs um, and I used to listen to the same songs on my warm-up. Um, and again, in terms of trying to get yourself in the right emotional state and the right kind of, um, you know, you know, state for a, a fight, not a, a fist fight, but, you know, a mental or, or you know, fighting your own body. So I used to, I used to do that. And again, just because I didn't want to, I, I, it sounds daft, but if you listen to anything, it could put you in a different state of mind. Whereas if I controlled the songs I listened to in my warm up, yeah. then it kind of set the, the almost, tone. Al- and, almost heightened the energy that you needed yeah. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I still hear those songs now, or I listen to them and all, all I think about is racing. So it's ruined them for, I can never sit and listen to them, but they're not the kind of songs you'd listen to, you know, in a, in a quiet room anyway. But um, yeah, I think, and as athletes that do similar to that, music plays a huge part, you know, in, in a lot of people's preparations in sport. Um, but again, I, I think as I got older or as I kind of, you know, I, I was renowned in my career for doing wacky traveling at times where there was one time where I raced in Madison Square Garden at uh, what was UK 1 a.m. in the morning um, and finished second in a big mile. And I flew overnight um, on a red eye back to the UK and finished second in the British Championships. Now, I, I literally got two hours sleep. Um, I, I, I think I ended up having a steak sandwich and some champagne on the flight. Um, the, the preparation was awful. Now, I, I emotionally loved it and thrived off that. Now, in my book of you know things that could have gone wrong, that that could have been a disaster of a weekend. But emotionally and kind of it was it was doing something different. Um, I had the same pre-race tunes on, by the way. But I think that that's, that's the thing. If you can kind of capture your own imagination sometimes, then you, know, you, you can get past certain blocks. Whereas if I, when I was younger, if I'd have done that, if I'd have flown, I don't know, uh, one hour on a day of a race, it would have blown my mind to have thought that I could have raced off it. Or if someone says you're going to get two hours the night before, you know, one of the biggest races of the season or, you know, a big presentation at work, you know, you might, it might blow your mind where there were certain times I did things where I think you just get in the moment and, you know, it, you kind of um, ride with it. I mean, you've had countless medals from all over the globe. Anyone in particular that is special to you? Um, it's a really good one. I think, I think making, I think it wasn't a medal, but I think making the final at the, the, the 2010 Commonwealth Games because uh, four years prior to it in Melbourne, um, I got food poisoning two days before the race. So, six days uh, sorry six weeks of a, a pre-camp um all the preparation obviously having qualified six months before uh two days before i get food poisoning from the village um and it basically i ran but i don't remember much of um the melbourne race and and it's one of my all-time career lows and in between that time i ended up uh, getting a full-time job and working for welsh athletics so i was competitions manager um from 2009 onwards and I was working 80 to 100 hours a week um, like 
because it was just, you know, it's a big stressful job looking after all elements of competition. But I was still running because I had my little training group by then. I was still enjoying it. But running wasn't my major focus at that time. It was starting my kind of you know, career and my career in coaching. Um, I ended up qualifying in 2010 by a three hundredths of a second. So three hundredths of a second got me onto the team. But I, I organized the trial race. So the trials for the whole Welsh competition, uh, Welsh athletics team for the Commonwealth, I organized that. I also organized all the kit for the whole team. Um, and so giving the kit out to everyone and kit packages, there was my initials on one of the, the boxes of kit. Um, I got some special items just for myself, obviously. Um, and then I got onto the team bus to take us to the airport. And, and I stood up to everyone and said, look, I'm no longer, I wasn't the kit man, but I'm no longer me as competitions manager. I'm one of your teammates now. So if anything doesn't fit, I don't want to hear about it. I don't care about it. Um, and ended up going to Delhi and making the final. And it kind of put to rest the, the you know, the, the bad, you know, experience of four years earlier. Um, and I, and I, I look back and think, you know, to have done that off, you know, starting a different kind of career path. Um, I look back and it was really proud, but yeah, there's not, there's not too many kind of people that an org could organize, say a Wembley final and then play in it um, or end up, you know, as I said, giving all the, the kit and organization of it and ended up wearing it themselves. So again, I had a, a fairly unique role in that, but um, it's one I look back with, with real pride and I think the vest, yeah, I, I worked really hard for that one. Would you say that you at the time were a pretty fearless competitor? Yeah, I mean, again, I if I was coaching myself, I would have been I'd have been more fearless, and I and I, would, and I also would have raced less because um, I did I did too many races, and I and I think I diluted myself sometimes in that. Um, I had to I had to race to pay the bills, but also there were some races that I did that I wasn't paying any bills because I wasn't running anywhere near as well as I should have, and I should have, you know, trained harder. I should have raced a bit smarter, and I think then I would have been a bit more fearless in in competition. Um, I was only thinking about the other day when I was uh, in my kind of um, early 20s. I was I was someone that would be a bit more aggressive in races and push races on. And I realized sometimes, you know, they got to a point in my career where I played it a bit safe sometimes and, you know, and finished mid-table or midfield of a race where it, and because there was sometimes a lot of pressure on and it was better to, or it seemed like it was better to do okay than to fail. Um, whereas I, if I was coaching myself, there were times where I, I, I would have turned around and said, look, blooming go for it. You know, you, you're better off trying to win this race. Um, and who cares if, if you finish last? You know, go for it rather than being a bit mediocre. Um, and again, that's one of the things I'm trying to install in my runners where, you know, take that handbrake off sometimes. You know, there are days where you need, you need to qualify for something and therefore you need to make sure that you're in, you know, a certain number of positions. And, and if you don't make it in that, then you won't even go on to the next stage. But there are other times where, um, and actually we've seen it in lockdown with athletes at the moment where there's no actual real races, but there's virtual races mm -hmm. where people are running against a clock or running against themselves on a, on a, on a you know, distance. And actually people are running phenomenally fast because there's no fear of uh, failure with it. It's, it's, well, if it doesn't really pan out, then so be it. But it's been really interesting to see people's kind of fear of competition kind of go and, and also their fear of racing other people where kind of you, you kind of put yourself where you think you might be because of someone else. Whereas when that's taken out, where it's just you against the clock uh, or you against the distance, actually you, you can kind of expand your, uh, your kind of capabilities and, and maybe think that you're better than you are. Um, rather than sometimes I think I stood on the start line, I was already predetermined to finish fifth or sixth. Whereas yeah. actually I was capable of meddling uh, but also could have finished last in the race very easily, which I didn't do very often. But I think, yeah, I think I kind of, as I said, maybe diluted my career a little bit with that. It's so powerful, isn't it? That mental barrier, even if you have that sort of drive inside you to win, knowing that someone else has got a personal best better than yours or knowing someone has a reputation that means that they'll win, you place yourself in between those brackets of different people and it hinders you. So being, like you said, you know, having this time where you can just be free to compete against yourself in a sense and not have to worry about other people. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, a lot of athletes out there that are surprising themselves. 
Yeah, I think I think it's probably maybe happening in some other walks of life as well. I know, obviously, you know, people work in offices and interact with other people, and that's that that's been something that people you know will have struggled with. We have as coaches struggled with the the, the lack of face to face and interaction with athletes. But I think sometimes you know we do compare ourselves to other people a bit too much. Um, whereas I, I definitely found in the first part of lockdown where people were happy to train on their own, they're happy to look after the themselves on a daily basis i was giving them their training plans but with a little bit of kind of leeway where you know if you couldn't do it or you know you wanted to be flexible with it then to do so um and what i found people were really really you know well motivated and structured and, and actually the training people did was probably better in that period because say in a training group where we can often have 30 people in a training group now if you've got everyone doing the same thing in a training group um someone is someone is probably running at that optimal kind of what, what what the training session is designed for someone's probably running a bit too fast and maybe someone's running a bit too slow where when you go out and it's just you and you're the only person in control of the pace and how it feels actually you're, you actually look after what's going on um whereas we've all been for a run or done something with a friend that maybe goes a bit too fast or you try and keep up um and when you're trying to find what exactly works for you and also with work as well you know that I've seen on the news or things that maybe the nine to five will go out the window because people's optimal time for working is, is so different, isn't it? To, to people, some people want to get up, crack a dawn, you know, start 6am, get three, four hours of great work done and then go and do something. Other people don't want to start work until midday, but when work into the, the small hours. Um, and that's probably the same with runners that everyone is slightly different. And my job as a coach is to try and find that little niche um, there are obviously guiding principles that of training that you've got to do. You can't hide from you know certain principles, but you know the the little kind of tweaks that people can do and people taking ownership of what they do. Um, I, I think that's it's maybe something that from lockdown, from a coaching, but also from a work point of view, it, it might be something that we see that people have a little bit more kind of control over their working lives and, and their time clocks. In terms of the runners that you coach now, what do you think their struggles are predominantly? Well, we're, we're in a massive one where right now that we train to compete. Um, it's all been, a, you know, like it, you can train to keep fit, but people do that to go to the gym. We've always been about competitions and getting better. And, and right now there's, there's been no real competitions. There's a couple that might happen, um, but they're because of mass participation running so the big races half marathons 10ks marathons you can you can see on the news another one's being cancelled um chicago marathon got cancelled yesterday i think only london marathon of the real majors is still in the program but again that could go at any time um and even the smaller races that the guys and, and, and group do at certain times park runs um that we all took for granted where you know you turn up with 200 or 500 people and run in a in a kind of structured 5k on a Saturday morning. Obviously, anything right now where there's mass amount of people and there's contact. So in the middle distance race, there's obviously contact, um, and that that's what athletes are finding hard now. And in in the beginning of lockdown, you know there was a a little bit of kind of no one quite knew how long it was going to go on for, um, and we did these virtual races where people would log a time for a distance and upload it. And there was a bit of banter and competition about that. But purely competition is about going out and testing yourself, but also going, you know, you want to go and race against other people and travel around the UK, travel around the world. Um, and athletes don't have that at the moment. And when competitions are being cancelled and in the US, the, the NCAAs have cancelled cross-country running, up, which is um, a big, big sport in the, in the US in their collegiate system. Uh, they, they've cancelled sport until January. Um, British universities have said similar that there's not going to be much structured sport for the whole of the first semester taking us till Christmas and that's that's tough for athletes when you're coaching that you're trying to keep them motivated but you're trying to keep them motivated when there isn't potential um, uh, headlight or light at the end of the tunnel of competition so you, you're trying to balance it where you keep them focused but also just being realistic that they're going to have little ups and downs and they're going to feel a bit you know, unmotivated at times. And myself as a coach, I, I have to keep kind of geeing myself up because, you know, it, it's tough to be the one, you know, I look after 30 to 40 people and I'm the one trying to be um, uh, upbeat and trying to be positive. 
and we see another race cancelled and you know that there's not going to be certain competitions that you've had you know I, I said i've been competing for 30 years and i would have never ever anticipated the summer we've had um and at the moment it could get worse if if, if the virus comes back badly detrimental in to the industry october november yeah i mean detrimental to any element of sport right now you know mm. whether it's recreational through gyms swimming pools um personal trainers obviously you know work you know those that work in the sports field to you know those you know the, the high-end sport where you know crowds and you know and you know the uh, the atmosphere of sport is is so you know kind of ingrained in our kind of you know, uk culture or world culture with sport um and athletics is no different to that i mean you know i, I just think you only have to look at the the numbers of competitors in the in the major marathons it's 40,000 plus um and again you know th those are numbers that are gone great north runs 50,000 people that that's gone in september as well so i mean it's just tough i mean the sport i think the sport of running will, will be better after because a lot of people during lockdown have taken up running yeah um but for some of our younger runners that this is their their age group that they're never going to get back again this is their they're under 17 or an under 20 this was their year that they were going to shine and they don't have any competitions. And I look back at how motivating it was when I was their age to do all those competitions, to travel around, to meet people. Um, and to not have that is, is heartbreaking. But, you know, we, we know there's obviously, you know, much worse things going on. Um, so it's all in context of obviously, you know, uh, there's people losing their jobs. There's obviously people having lost their lives and family members. So, it, it's hugely, you know, hugely difficult time for everyone. Um, yeah, but I think as a coach, you, you've got to try and plan, hopefully, for a best case scenario, but potentially a worst case scenario as well. I mean, it sounds so much like it. That is your absolute passion is coaching about your passion running. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, R running, running is what I do. Um, you know, again, I was hugely lucky to to kind of fall into the university role that I'm in through that. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I think it's just, again, if, if you've not found your passion yet, hopefully you do find it. If you found it, then it, it, it's great. And I think that that's something that, yeah, I think having found that and kind of digging it, but that doesn't mean that everything comes easy. Um, yeah, and coaching lots of people has its ups and downs right now. Some people are flying, some people have stalled a bit, a couple of people have injuries and it's the people that have injuries and stalled that keep me up at night. And I, it's like a puzzle you're trying to work out what did you do wrong or what could you fix? What could you do differently next time? Um, because again, if you're, if you're coaching lots of people, um, you've got lots of obviously high points, but there's obviously lots of low points in there as well. So I, I wish sometimes I was only coaching one person because when it was really good, it'd be really good. But then the issue with that is if they were injured, it'd be terrible. Do you use any of your skills that you have when it comes to coaching with the London Marathon Elite crew? Do you coach them or are you just part of their team? No, I, I'm lucky with the, the London Marathon Elite team. I've been part of now for over 10 years. So we look after the elites. Um, and it's actually quite a sort of, um, not, not, a, a, not a normal job, but basically you get to see behind the scenes, you look after them. Uh, runners will need, you know, runners, especially as they get to a higher level, would need to be looked after. They need to be taken to the press. They need to be taken to train. Uh, they need to be made sure they get to the start line. Uh, I think it was in the the uh, 20, 2012 Olympic trials. One of the athletes um, didn't get out of bed in the morning. I uh, know 2016 didn't get out of bed in the morning. We knocked on his door, um, and he woke up, and his alarm hadn't gone off. No breakfast, um, and he made the the British Olympic team um, from us knocking on his door in the morning. So I think one of my favourite memories, Elub Kipchoge, who was. The, the man that went sub two hours for the marathon, but he won London Marathon. Uh, I think he got within 10 seconds of the world record. Um, and he sat there in the, the elite tent and he's just run one of the fastest marathons of all time. And so he's only a brilliant run. Can, can we get you anything? And he's like, yes, a um, cup of tea. So first thing he wanted, and he's literally a stone throw from Buckingham Palace. So sat there with a milky cup of tea so all those people that think about, you know, these crazy energy drinks or you need this, that, something special, you know, the fastest marathon runner of all time, all he wants after the marathon is a milky sugary cup of tea. So simple, job done. Oh, I love that. Now you're in quarantine, do you have a routine that you kind of uphold? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, 
I've worked out every single day of quarantine. I've done different things on, um, I bought a turbo and I've been cycling on Swift. So joining the online community of that. So I'm currently two stages in of the Tour de France, like most people doing crazy things. I did a hundred uh, mile bike rides a couple of times on it, which took a long time. Um, and so I've done little things like that, a bit of fun. Um, I've got a treadmill in the house again, super lucky to jump on that. Yeah, I mean, and again, where we live in Wales, beautiful scenery for training and for running. Um, I just I just found, you know, doing something physical every day has helped me mentally kind of just stay on top of things. I think, you know, I think at the anxiety side of things, I've definitely felt more from it. Um, I read the other day about COVID-19 fatigue, which I, I think will be something that will be an interesting one over the next few years that, you know, having, uh, we've got two young children there, seven and, and nine, so we've been homeschooling them and it's quite full on. I mean, you know, bless them. They, they've been back for two days of school in the last couple of weeks and they've got one more day on Thursday and then it's the summer holidays again. Yay. Um, <laughs> and there's a fatigue there in terms of making sure they're okay. Um, as I said, I'm looking after lots of people externally as well. Uh, we've been marking university papers and, you know, making sure people are okay in their academic uh, courses and profiles. Um, so it kind of feels like you know, you know it's you're worrying about lots of people and making sure lots of people are okay. Um, so so I, I think I found it easier in the very very beginning of lockdown because it was fairly simple. Um, and in our heads, we kind of thought it'd be a few weeks. I think I found it more difficult the last few weeks where things are opening up, but they're not opening up fully. Also, there's the worry, and if you look at what's happening in the US or, or Australia, where states or um you know cities are being shut down and things like that we've had it in the uk with leicester um and so i think the uncertainty i, I like certainty yeah, or like some winter kind of, really oh I mean. and the, yeah and trying to predict winter and mm. and i think that that's the tough thing and i think as i said i'm trying to be focused it does help looking after lots of people that i have to be upbeat i've watched quite a few of your online circuits and i think through all this uncertainty the consistency of having individuals like you coming to the forefront and saying right regardless of anything this is what we are certain about we're certain that we're going to do a workout today and we're certain we're all going to do it together and it's going to be painful and fun and you know i've been doing something very similar sort of watching someone else and it does keep you going it gives you that element of routine during the course of the week and saying right okay on this day i'm going to be working out with james and this day i'm going to be working out with such and such and there are a lot of people out there so a lot of great people out there that are just giving value of themselves it probably feels very much at the beginning like it's not doing what you think it's doing and actually there is far more of a movement than you imagine I couldn't believe the messages I've had from people um, yeah. at, at different times. And I think that that's, that was the thing that's blown. And there were certain times I was like, ah, oh, I'll, I'll dip it down to one a week because people start getting bored now. Um, and I've had message, people messaging saying, please don't stop, you know, keep going. Um, I messaged some people saying, you know, it's really helped them at, at various times and that they've done every single one of them. So, you know, I, I always said with coaching or with things that, you know, if you do something and it helps one other person, then it's it's hugely beneficial. Um, you know, I feel I feel you know lucky that I had an opportunity to do do this and I had the ability to do it as well. Um, but I've said a few times on the circuits that it's actually helped me just as much as it's helped everyone with the structures you said that Monday Wednesday routine. Um, I've actually I've actually probably got myself as fit as I've been for a long time because of it because it's made me do it. If I was going to do circuits at home during lockdown, I'd have done it once in the first week, maybe twice. Yeah. I'd have forgotten and, and then done it three weeks later because I'd have lost three weeks watching mm -hmm. Tiger King or something. Um, and then, and then I would have, I would have started again. Whereas it's made me do, I think, I think tomorrow we're on uh, session number 33. Um, but it's also made me think about how I can, you know, going back to the creativity, we're pretty much doing almost the same exercises every week but how you can do it slightly differently with different recoveries, um, different um, different uh, sequences of doing mm -hmm. them um, and, and trying to make it, how you can make the same thing different. Um, and at the moment, I think I've just about survived that. So uh, yeah. I think people are grateful. I think there's just a level of survival through just getting to the end of the circuit, <laughs> whether it's yeah. creative well, or not. I, I think the other, the other person that obviously, you know, was doing it at the same time, but a little bit more high profile, but obviously Joe Wicks, I mean, it's tiring doing it twice a week in terms of the organization 
question or the um, you know the kind of kind of you need to be on it for that 30 minutes you can't go quiet for five minutes of it um you, you know you've obviously got to talk and g up everyone so I looked at him doing it every day. I wasn't envious of doing that every day. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he might have got paid handsomely from it, I think. Two days a week, I was just fine. James, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, of the episode, but I've got a couple of questions for you. And then I thought I'd just ask you at the end yeah. of every uh, episode, I've got some fun fact questions for everyone. What piece of advice would you give anyone out there who's starting a career either as a runner or as an athlete what would you have wanted to know right at the very beginning I think it's just you know stick with it I think that um, you never quite know where it's going to take you um, I've coached runners from absolute nothing to running a half marathon in 17 weeks and it's changed their lives and they're still running now um, and I've you know coached people to you know to Olympic Games and, uh, and World Championships and and I think, but what I have seen is I've seen people achieve things that they didn't think at the beginning were, were possible. Um, and whatever level you're going to reach, and it is all relative. I think people sometimes think that they're not fast or they're not as good as someone else, but it's, it's how good you can be yourself um, and how far that might take you. Or that might, you, you might meet your future wife or husband through it. You might get a career through it. You might end up being fit and healthy and being happy just generally in your own life. So the, the different goals and, and whatever those goals might be. Don't, don't just pin it on one thing. Um, the, the possibilities are endless. And who inspires you now? Oh, good question. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was just necessarily one person. I, I'm inspired by anything that, or any, anyone that does something that is just a wow moment of anything. So, um, you know, I'm reading obviously a lot about creativity right now and, and, and reading things about amazing people um, that have done amazing things. And I think that's the thing is, and, but it can be, you know, some of the small things that people do. And, you know, I think reading about people that are stepping in and helping people right now um, at various times, whether, you know, they're a massive business person or whether they're just a, a local independent shop or something that I think you all have the ability to step up sometimes and inspire the people around you. Um, I think, yeah, w but when you do see something that is, you know, a wow moment, I think that, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty special. Okay, you ready for some fun questions? Go for it. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, about the songs that you used to listen to. What were your favourite songs? Oh, well, it, it was a, a band from the early 2000s. So my, my, my go-to album was, it was a group called The Vines. Um, and the album was, I think it was called Highly Evolved. But yeah, just sort of grungy Australian uh, punk rock. Uh, yeah, so, but yeah, the, the guy, the singer was an amazing guy, or is an amazing guy called Craig Nichols, who's off the spectrum of everything. So um but yeah, there was something kind of with that. I kind of, as I said, it got me ready to race. So uh, yeah, the Vines was my, my go-to What are you currently reading? Oh, I'm reading uh, books on well, books on creativity right now. I was looking for them. They're in my bag somewhere. So uh, yeah, there's one on, um, there's a great kind of thing about the flow or, you know, and it's, um, it, it's talking about what we're kind of looking for in business or work, but that kind of moment that you're in but yeah, the creative flow of things. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, m many different authors do it though. Okay. What annoys you the most? Um, what annoys me the most? Uh, negative people. So I think that, uh, yeah, people that just put negative things online. Um, one of the things I tell my athletes all the time is, you know, you, you've got, you're putting things out about things, but don't say that. Or people that are negative about other people. So you know, be positive. Everything you're putting out, try and be positive. So, um, yeah, and then and then you can then avoid those negative people because you can read their comments and know to avoid them. And if you could drop everything right now, take a plane somewhere, where would you go? Um, we've got loads of friends in New York. So um, I'd, I'd get my friends, jump them on a plane, and then we'd go to New York, and then we'd go to Bermuda. So uh, lots of good friends in Bermuda as well. So... Uh, yeah, we're going to have a weekend in, in Bermuda. I think that'd be nice. God, that sounds incredible. I'm sure anyone who's listening now <laughs> would want to join you. Your mission in life is? Um, my mission in life. Good. That's a really good question. Um, I think it's to get the most out of myself. If it was a personal thing, um, it, it's to kind of, yeah, to see yeah, what, what is possible to explore. 
Um, but I think within that, part of that is looking after the people around me. So I think one of my big things is making sure my children are, are happy and they, they then get the chance to explore how good they can be at something or just be happy. So I think my job is obviously look after, look after yourself and those around you to, uh, to, to be the best you can be. And Jamie Fee, what has being so driven given you? It's been really fun. Talk. I mean, I love obviously talking about my career. Um, I love talking about kind of things that motivate me. And to say that I've tried to link, and I always do try and link with my students, whether they're great students in the in the athletics field. But you know, this week I think it was last week we had the the degree results come through, and all my athletes were getting firsts or two ones and and hitting their grades. I think that was really important that they balanced. They got the balance between being great athletes and, and being driven in, in their sporting field. But they, they translated that to, to the academic field. Um, and that was me. That was me. That was my kind of, you know, yeah, we, we got it right with this bunch. Um, that They got the balance right. So I think that's, that, that's my challenge to you is, you know, can you, can you find that nice balance between everything you're doing um, to, to maximise and, and spin those plates and don't let them drop? Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. James was passionate about running from a young age. He didn't have a coach during his training, so therefore he had to cultivate the discipline it requires to be taken as a serious athlete. He had to race to pay the bills. So he was really focused to win based on his livelihood. He now looks back and sees the benefits of what he was missing without a coach. In his case, having someone there to tell him to stop doing so much, to focus, to rest, to recover. I have a few areas from our conversation that I just want to summarize. Number one, and firstly, it seems to me that athletics is very much viewed as a solo sport. It was good to get a reminder from James that when competing professionally, he was also part of a team. Ultimately, you're responsible for yourself and this is how he trains his athletes. But there is that camaraderie that athletes have when it's competition time, that support of your team that is often dismissed or forgotten by the spectator. Number two, leading up to a competition, James, like all other serious athletes, has a routine and he's given a couple of good tips for anyone who is going into competition or has exams or even is doing a presentation on a stage. Some tips that you can adopt and take with you. Tip one, never try anything new the day before. For him, that included preparation for his training, what he ate, it all counts. Tip two, from his friend Joe Pavey, write down what happens the whole week of a really good race. How much sleep did you have? What did you eat? What training was done? What were you thinking? So important. Notice the patterns. This helps and takes out the guesswork when trying to replicate the same form of success. You can also apply this process to a bad race. What were the elements that led up to the race? And think about how you can eliminate them next time. Number three, most sports people have their superstitions or rituals before a race. It seems only right that I asked James. He would put his personal best on his hand and look at it before a race. He would also listen to the same pre-race songs he would have on his warm-up over and over again. It's true, by controlling what you listen to before entering any performance, whether that, again, is competing, going onto the stage to present, doing an exam, gives you less opportunity to get distracted. Number four, like all of us in whatever we set out to achieve, we can look back at our journey as we complete our challenge or get to our destination and see where we could have worked harder, been smarter, been more focused on what really mattered. But when we're fearless, the destination is the ultimate win and the journey of the lessons become our how-tos. And we've spoken about this before on the podcast, but mostly it is the script for how not to. If James had the opportunity to speak to his former younger competitive self again, he would just tell him to go for it. For all the times he didn't enter a race because he was worried that he was going to come last, or for all the races that he had where he mentally had put himself fifth or sixth place, he would just tell that younger version of himself just to go for it. It's now what he instills in his athletes. James has made an interesting 
James made an interesting discovery during lockdown, seeing runners compete online without the fear of worrying about losing. That created a better race for them and overall a better time on their run. It's incredible to think in general what we are doing to ourselves in respect to fear of failure. Do we post ourselves fifth or sixth position because that's where we feel we should be? It's an interesting story our mind plays with us to give us all the evidence it needs to hinder us from that scary potential of winning. Number five, and finally, if you're at the start of your running career or any career for that matter that you want to grow in, stick with it. You never know what will happen and who you could meet. You may just have an amazing career. Sometimes the road will be hard and sometimes it's great, but achievement only comes through dedication and what the outcome of that is. Well, the possibilities are endless. Just a couple of actionables, as I love to put at the end of my podcast, a couple of questions that you should really ask yourself. What would you do if failure wasn't a factor? What is stopping you doing that right now? Well, that's it from me today. Thank you again to my amazing guest, James Thee. If you want to know more about James, please head over to my website. That's www.serenadodd.com forward slash podcast. Serenadodd.com forward slash podcast. You can get all the information on James and the other guests that we've had on the podcast. So if you are enjoying the podcast, um, and I can't believe we're actually in episode five already, then please head over to iTunes and rate and leave a review. Now, if you are looking to achieve a particular goal, either in the next month or by the end of the year, and you want some serious guidance on how to achieve it, I am giving away a one hour session with me per week to help you structure and plan those goals to get the best outcome you possibly can. Just head over to iTunes, rate and leave a review on the podcast. Let me know that you've done that by clicking the Ask Serena button on the website that I've just given you. And I will pick one winner a week to have a one-on-one session with me. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you are taking lead of your day and making it so driven. (laughs) 